It's been a tradition of ours to have a graduation chapel. It's been previously called the baccalaureate chapel. Uh, if you're a graduate student, uh, and we often, always in tradition, have a scripture reading uh, within this from one of our graduating students. And uh, we will still continue that tradition, but it's going to be via video uh, from our very own Sabrina Vanderwall. So you can check the screen. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're having the greatest day. Uh, my name is Sabrina, and I am a fourth-year pastoral theology student. And you might be wondering to yourself, why have I never seen this girl one time in my entire life? And that's because I'm not there. Uh, Summit has graciously allowed me to study abroad this year. And so I currently live in Sweden, actually. Uh, I live in a city called Uppsala, uh, which is about 40 minutes away from Stockholm, which is the capital. Um, but about a month ago, Kimmy Quiggs reached out to me and she goes, Sabrina, can you read? And I go, yes, I can read. And she goes, would you be willing to read a verse for grad chapel? And I said, um, obviously I would be honored. And so that's what we're going to do today. And so if you have your Bible, your phone, your tablet, your iPad, your laptop, however it is that you access scripture, I would invite you to turn with me uh, to Hebrews chapter 12. And we're only going to be reading verses one and two. And this is what it says. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, everyone, that's it. Be blessed. I hope you have the greatest day. Um, grads, proud of you, always. And um, I'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Hey, Noah! Hello. What's up, Summit? Yeah! Thanks, Kevin. Uh, good morning, everyone. If you don't know who I am, my name is Graham. Hey, Jake. Hey, babe. Uh, love you. Um, yeah, I am graduating this year from the Pastoral Theology Program after five long years. Um, great years. Shout out to my fifth years. Um, yes, it's been an incredible journey. But before I get started, thank you. Every single staff, faculty, volunteers, guys, you make Summit an incredible place. So can, can we just, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You guys uh, have really changed my life, uh, staff and faculty. Um, you guys are incredible. And I just want to say thank you for all that you do and your obedience to the Lord. A little bit about me. So I'm originally from Bowmanville, Ontario, which is way out uh, close to Toronto. Uh, I have some homies like Mike Rogers, Ryan Smith, who also graduated from here. Uh, so me, before I came to Summit, I was just really contempt. I was just like, you know what? Life is cool. Don't really have any passion to do anything. So before Summit, I didn't care about what God was doing. I didn't really give an interest in the Lord's work. I didn't give an interest in ministry. Even though I grew up in church, I'm like, I just, I'm just kind of lazy. I don't really want to like participate. I was encouraged by Mike Rogers, who graduated from here. Um, he was my youth pastor. And he's like, hey man, what do you want to do for your life? And I'm like, I don't really know. My sister, she went to Bible college in Ontario. She's a full-time youth pastor now. Um, but I wasn't really interested in, in doing homework and doing papers and doing exams because I know what she went through because she told me her experience. But when I was chatting with Mike, he's like, hey man, just take a step of faith. Maybe get out of home for a little while. Maybe travel somewhere that you've never been before. And so I was really encouraged to like, you know what? If I want to take God seriously, I have to completely remove myself from everything else. So when I flew out to Summit, it was September of 2017. I was super excited. I had no idea what the heck I was doing. I had no, I had no sweet clue what God had in store for me. Uh, but I was excited. I heard about Omega. I didn't really know what it was because I applied in like July and I left the following month. Um, I'm like, oh, sick. We're going to China. That's crazy. But during that whole year, it was, it was, it was tough. There were moments where I wanted to give up. There were moments where I'm like, I'm not really feeling this right now. I kind of want to go home. Um, but during that first year, God really just gave me a picture of what he had in store for me. But now to the, the main 
meat of my story. During Summit, during all my five years, I don't like school. I really… Like, I know this is a strong word. I actually hate school. A um, little bit about my testimony. I have a learning disability, which is reading and writing. And what do we do here? We read and we write. So during Summit, every single day, I was actively pushing against my greatest insecurity. During high school, during middle school, I was just pushed. I was just pushed. Yeah, you'll just go to the next grade. Go to the next grade. I had no confidence in writing a paper. I remember the first paper I wrote was for testimony for Omega. And I remember sitting and looking at my computer being like, where do I even begin? I was so like… I just felt like I was just way over… Like way over my head. Like it was just crazy. And I just remember just feeling so insecure. And feeling so inadequate. Not capable of producing what Summit wanted. Yet… God used that. He used one of my greatest insecurities. And he's like, no, Graham, even though this is tough, even though you want to give up, it's deeper than that. It's not about getting 85% on an exam. It's not about being the most academic, the most literate person ever. It's about what I have for you. It's about what I want to use you for, for ministry to impact other people. So you bet, God really used my mistakes. I, there's a couple moments where I intentionally just gave up. And I, and I, and I reaped those, uh, those consequences. Now I'm in my fifth year. And I remember, I remember when Mel first told me, hey, you have to stay back another year. I was crushed. Because I wanted to be with my friends. I wanted to graduate with, with Tanisha and with Jacob, who, who are my best friends and people that I can forever rely on. But it was crazy because God used that too. My main thing I want to give to you guys is that being at Summit, yes, it's an academic institution. But at the end of the day, it's not about your GPA. It's not about what salary you're going to get from whatever job or position you're going to. At the end of the day, God cares about your heart. He cares about how you react. He cares about your reaction to when you got the position or when you didn't get the position. Because we can never produce something like on our own. We can never replicate what God is doing. We just have to step into what God is doing. That is the one thing that we are called to do is to step into our calling because he's already given us that. So being at Summit, I just said, yes, Lord. When I failed the exam, yes, Lord, I'll keep going. When I failed the paper, yes, Lord, I'll keep going. And that has been one of the most challenging things in my life because I've constantly felt like a failure, but it's going to be okay because God is with you and he cares about what you're going through. And he cares about your heart in it. So Summit, thank you for having me. It's been an incredible five years. And I can't wait to move forward in boldness and in obedience, knowing that God has my back because he is faithful. Kainman, do you have a blowhorn? Is that what you have? Oh my gosh. Kingman would have that. Out of everyone in this school, Kingman would have that. Yeah, yeah. One second, guys. I got to do the grandma thing here. It's not rotating. Okay, that's fine. Oh, there we go. Okay, okay. Hi, guys. <laughs> okay. Guys, it's so good to be here at our graduation chapel. It feels incredible. It feels surreal. Um, anyone who doesn't know me, my name is Trina. I'm, also, I'm a fourth year. Uh, I'm in the not-for-profit program. Best program. Yeah. There's three of us graduating. I, wanna just, I just want to give a big shout out to Josh Reynolds and Corey. Best professors. Best professors. Literally, Corey is probably the best person to try to figure out loopholes and things. So if you ever need to figure out a loophole, go talk to Corey. Josh is hilarious. I laugh every time I'm in Josh's class. Anyways, okay. So I actually thought that this reflection was at the grad banquet. Um, so I thought I had a lot more time. Uh, turns out I didn't. Turns out it's not that important. So here we are. Um, Graham, incredible. You did a great job. Ditto everything Graham said. Couldn't have said it better. Couldn't have said it better. Okay. But in all honesty, this year has been wild. 
from COVID to floods to Jerry to blizzards. <laughs> but as I was doing this reflection, I gazed back on the plains of this four years and I concluded that summit is like a carnival. Follow me, follow me along. So we get to the carnival. We're so excited to experience so many new, exciting things. But sometimes the rides don't live up to our expectations where we think we're going to pass the class, but we fail. Or we're so excited to go on the midnight Ferris wheel with the one and share many donuts with. But instead, we ride the Ferris wheel alone and we gain 15 pounds. But <laughs> hey... Hey, that's okay, that's okay. We grow and we strengthen in character from our experience, gain incredible memories and friendships that impact us for a lifetime. However, like a carnival only lasts a season, our time here also comes to a close. And <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and I just wanna say how proud I am of graduating with this class. Every single one of you guys have grown so much throughout the years. For example, in my second year, I actually didn't know Caleb Owens went to this school. Um, but I saw him in science the other day. Proud of you, buddy. So proud. <laughs> Daphne. I mean, Daphne, she won the world record of doing the most splits within four years. Incredible, incredible. Colby, at 12, entered Summit. <laughs> he was a peacoat-wearing theater geek, but now he's graduating with just a little more facial hair. Shingus, he managed to be our class president, even though he's not actually graduating this year. Wow. Uh, and Chuck, well, Chuck, he did it all. Chuck managed to graduate by the time he was 25. Yeah, yeah. We have won some great victories, but we also lost some soldiers along the way. And I want you to know that, oh, and I know, you guys already know this, I know that we are leaving so excited for the future ready to move on, but I just want you guys to look back on your growth. So I'll start with me. I came in here, if you guys remember me in my first year, God bless her. I came in here as a swearing little wannabe white girl that cried all the time. I listened to intense rap, said Finna way too much, and thought I was the hardest person on campus. I knew nothing about the Bible, which pushed down, heartbroken, and unsure if this was truly where God wanted me to be. But here is where my ego was deflated, and I learned what it meant to be a humble child of God. Here's where I met the love of my life. <laughs> Here's where I finally had the courage to step into my calling. And let me tell you something. I wouldn't change it for the world. I would come back here as the same boastful young teen over again if it meant I could leave knowing God the way I do now. In this building, we found refuge to question and wrestle with our faith, to search for God at the surface level and in the deep, and to grow into who we are today. Now we must go out and guide others to do the same. Some of us as pastors, counselors, executive directors, and some as light in the marketplace and friends to the friendless. So guys, congratulations on making it. Congratulations for pushing through one of the hardest seasons, handing in the papers, doing the exams, throwing your book up against the wall, and then picking it back up again. Congratulations for making it this far. Let's give a hand to our four years and how far we've come. <laughs> Well, guys, we're grateful that we get to share with you this morning. Um, we're finally graduating like 10 years later. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, this morning, we're going to share our reflection. We did it a little bit differently. We wrote an open letter to Summit, so we're going to just read it straight from the page. And Vicky's going to start us off. Okay. 
Dear Summit, we write to you as a familiar friend. As you no doubt, no doubt know, our time together is nearing its end. As we look ahead to our future parting, it's flavored with a sweetness of fond memories and a bitterness of not wanting to leave you. You've been with us through it all, our early years, good and hard, our first careers and our marriage. You've been our home and our safe place for over 10 years. You've been the greenhouse to our learning and growth. If we listed all of the things that you've taught us, this would be a very long letter. But here are just a few of our favorite lessons. The first lesson is you've changed my, changed my perspective on calling. At one time, I thought calling was about a position, location, or an achievement. I thought that it was something that I had to search for to find. I even believed that I had to choose the right program here at Summit that was going to place me in the calling that God had for me. Now I understand that calling is much less complicated than I once thought. I understand that calling is primarily about loving God and loving his people. It's about a lifestyle of faithfulness and obedience. It's about the day in and day out. The jobs, titles, and destination may look different from season to season, but my calling will remain the same. I've come to learn that my calling is attached to my everyday life. My expression of calling has begun to flourish in the small, mundane moments of everyday life that are ripe with opportunity to be faithful, obedient, and loving. My calling is simple, and that gives me freedom to act on my calling often. The second lesson is that you've expanded my understanding of what it means to listen. Before, listening was a great tool in conversation and a way to communicate with others. Listening, listening was important to make it through everyday life. Oftentimes, listening became a means through which I could speak and share my opinions. But you've taught me that truly listening means humbling myself and quieting my inner dialogue to be able to truly see another as they are. You've shown me that listening and making others feel understood can be one of the most powerful ways to show them love. It's easy for me to get caught up in the busyness and be production-driven. But in moments where I've allowed myself to be interrupted, I've been surprised at the powerful opportunity I've been given to minister to someone else simply by listening to them. I've learned to welcome interruption like Jesus did so that spirit-empowered moments can occur and take precedence over my to-do list. I've learned that listening seems to open more doors than speaking and offering my advice. I have a compulsion to contribute to the noise in our world by offering, offering my two cents, but oftentimes I'm the only one who actually wants to hear myself speak. I've learned that good listening means developing the skill of asking good questions. This kind of listening, without ulterior motives, breaks down barriers and leads to deeper relationships. As we read in Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. With this verse, you've challenged my prayer life to that of simple listening to God, to allow him to speak and to quiet my spirit to hear him. For this lesson, I'm very grateful. The third lesson is that you've challenged my hardness of heart. At one time, I believed that being cynical was equated with intelligence. I believed that being critical marked maturity or a greater level of wokeness. At one time, I didn't know that cynical people tend to have hard hearts. You've taught me how easy it is for my heart to get hardened and how blind I can be to its hardening. I've learned that any growing hardness in, is the result of me fanning into the flame the rebellion of my heart that ultimately draws me away from God, a condition in which our world is currently suffering. A hardened heart is a contagious sickness within our world, and a rebellious and hardened heart can only be softened through Scripture and the Spirit. You've shown me that a deep love of Scripture is paramount to my life, to preparing for future hardships, and to keep the bitterness at bay. You've brought along Reflection, who has become a close friend of mine, teaching me to remember and learn from the past. You've made space for God to soften my heart and taught me that keeping it soft to God and to others requires a measure of daily maintenance and will do so for the rest of my life. Through my time at Summit, I've been humbled in my cynicism. When I thought I was smart, I realized that I was actually just prideful. Summit, you taught me that most things aren't a hill to die on. 
Though I will not compromise on my core theological beliefs, no relationship is worth sacrificing for the sake of my opinion. I've watched graduates from this place allow their cynicism to divide them from friendships, the church, and for some, even their faith. Summit, you've taught me the importance of keeping my heart soft and learning to be constructively critical rather than destructively cynical. God can work even when systems, organizations, and people aren't perfect. Fourth, you've impressed on me the value and conviction of pursuing excellence. At one time, I would have valued my own personal comfort and desired to be lazy over hard work and excellence in everything I do. I failed to see how my decisions, work ethic, and drive could make a significant difference in the life of another. Summit, this is one of my favorite lessons. I remember one time at a very busy season of Omega, having an hour alone and feeling at the end of myself. I laid down on my bed and began the mental pity party of how hard my life was and how tired I felt. Then, in a simple and slightly reprimanding way, God said to me, remember this. He was reminding me of the privilege that it was to spend myself on someone else, to exhaust myself for something I believe in. Summit, you've given me so much to believe in. You've given me so many people worthy of exhausting myself for, even just to slightly impact them, even just to slightly alter their life trajectory for the better. You've taught me the excellence is not about reaching a certain level of achievement, but that it is about resilience in the race that I run and the work that I do. I've learned that my excellence matters to God and provides more material for him to use to impact the lives around me. You've taught me that worship is not just in songs, but in the way I live my life. And I want my life to be excellent worship. I'm an advocate of self-care, but sometimes I've felt the enticing draw to use language like self-care as an excuse to be lazy or avoid responsibility. Self-care is important, but I also be, believe working hard is too. You've taught me that self-care doesn't negate hard work, but Sabbath and self-care can give me the energy I need to do my work with excellence. COVID has challenged me in this area of excellence the past two years as rhythms and schedule have changed. Excellence has had to look different for me and at many times has been disappointing. Despite these disappointments, the last 10 years at Summit have taught me that excellence has a, lot more, has a lot to do with the posture of my heart, which is tied to my work ethic. Summit, you've taught me that through Christ, I'm, a, I'm capable of a lot more than I once thought, and it's a privilege to do the work that I've been assigned. God doesn't need me, but he invites me to join him in his work. Excellence may look different in different seasons, but I need to give my best as it is worship. These are just a few of our favorite lessons that we've learned. And throughout our brokenness, uh, we keep learning them again and again. Additionally, some of you've taught us that we have a lot more to learn. Learning isn't confined to an educational institution or a stage of life, but it's a lifestyle of humility. It's been a long and wonderful journey together. You've introduced us to many incredible people uh, who have become close friends, mentors, and colleagues. This community truly is the church. We are, learning, we, we are leaving with minds expanded and hearts full. We only hope and pray that the next chapter brings along teachers as kind as you and lessons that are just as meaningful. Summit, we love that you were a main character in our story. It's been a perfect chapter together. We are so grateful for your impact on our lives and the lives of countless people around the world. You will always feel like home and we will hold you in our memory with perfect fondness. Until we meet again, all our love, the Bolts. I think when we stop and pause to see what God has done, it's amazing, isn't it? To see what he has done. And it's, for me, it's, been, it's fit in with where I'm going. And I think that tells us that God's aware of things, isn't it? Or isn't he, sorry. I have the, uh, the privilege and I guess the honor of finishing Joshua. <clears throat> uh, I got the whole chapter. <laughs> but it's, it's amazing how it fits in with everything that has been said and where we are presently going. 
and where we will continue to go. So we're looking at Joshua chapter 24, the covenant renewal at Shechem. And this is Joshua's second um, farewell kind of speech at Shechem. He has given a covenant renewal ceremony in chapter 8. So this is his second one as he's coming to it. And he starts off in Joshua 1, and then we'll look at it. He says, Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, and he summoned the elders of Israel, its chiefs, its judges, its officers, and he stationed them before God. So he calls everybody. And then he starts off with a review of the past, of what God has done. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived in the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and I led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children I sent to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterwards... I brought you out. Verse 6, then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, you catch that Red Sea, I said? We've talked about that. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them, and he covered them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand, and you went over to the Jordan, and you came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or your bow. I gave you the land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwelt in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyard and the olive orchards that you did not plant. He starts off with a review of history and the review centers on the threats to Israel's history and the threats to Israel's welfare. And each of them are met by God's intervention. This is a history that should never have happened. Welcome to Summit. Only the grace and power of God can explain why they are actually standing there. Covenant history began a long time ago when your fathers lived beyond the river and they served other gods. And I took Abraham. Abraham was not always what he is, as we see later on the text. Earlier, it says that he served other gods. Welcome to all of us here at Summit. God is never in a hurry. Joshua, in talking about Abraham through God, he says this. God says, and I multiplied his seed and I gave him Isaac. What a ludicrous statement. I multiplied. One times one is one. And it took 25 years to get Isaac. And now Abraham has two grandsons. That's not multiplication. God is not driven by the calendar or intimidated by the clock. He did multiply Abraham's seed, but he did it slowly And in his timing, God does what he promises, but sometimes so gradually that we don't see his faithfulness immediately. God's ways are not always understandable. 
It says in the text, I gave Esau Mount Seir to possess, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Why did Esau and his family get their inheritance, and Jacob and his family have to go down to Egypt for slavery? Why do God's people experience difficult times, and sometimes others don't at all? Often God's people must wait in distress for God's promised blessings. Hebrews 11 is a perfect example of that. Scripture does not gloss over these difficult times. It does not erase the mysteries of the darkness from the record. I can trust a God like that. I can trust a God who's straightforward and honest. A God who is truthful can be trusted in the dark times. Joshua says, remember the faithful protection of God. Remember how he shielded you from Balaam's passion and Balak's purpose. God is still in the business of shielding his people from evil. We know what God has, if we know what God has kept us from and what he is keeping from us, we would have absolutely no trouble in confessing how faithful his protection has been. God provides. Verse 7 says, And you lived in the wilderness a long time. You thought four years or five years was long. Try 40 years in the wilderness. Half of Exodus and all of Numbers is compacted into those words. Their survival was one long miracle. Verse 13 says, God says, and I gave you a land. They did nothing for it. God gave it to them. Daily bread, I put in mind, pancakes, cereal, wraps, hamburgers, are stuff for which Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. See, we are still part of this great spiritual heritage, Romans chapter 11 and Hebrews chapter 11. The first section comes to an end, and God once again He's reminding his people that their present position in the land is entirely his doing. Once again, God is faithful to his promises. The land was nothing but God's gracious gift to his people. Where we are today is all because of God. Grads, you are here because of God. Omegas, you are here because of God. Students, faculty, and staff, we are all here because of God. Yes, we have had an input, but we're all here only because of God's gracefulness. Joshua looks at the past, and then he tells Israel to keep this legacy going and choose who you're going to serve. Verse 14 says, Now therefore fear the Lord and give him, give him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your forefathers served beyond the rivers and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods your, fa your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Verse 16, then the people answered, far be it from us that we would ever forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way, all that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we, we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples of the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Verse 19, but Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. Great, eh? For he's holy. He is jealous God. He will not forgive your transitions, transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and you serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. And then he said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you. This is present. Among you. And incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people 
said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. It really makes sense to only serve God when we really stop and look at it. The second section of this chapter ends with a set of exchanges between Joshua and the people about their resolve to serve the Lord. Based on all that he has done in the past, it's only reasonable that we would respond with commitment. Joshua's exhortation is a very passionate one. The people should be totally devoted and blameless in their worship to God. The Israelites should fear the Lord. They should serve him with integrity and in truth. But then he throws this in. He says, but if serving the Lord is undesirable to you or seems evil to you, then you should choose between the gods of Mesopotamia whom your distant ancestors had served or the more immediate gods of the Amorites, the Canaanites who are among you. What he's saying is if, if you don't find it if you don't find serving God great, then serve the gods you used to serve before you came to Summit or serve the gods that you might presently be serving here in Summit rather than God. Hmm. That's Joshua. Like, what are you doing? But how could, I mean, we, we all have to choose. It doesn't matter. You're, you're going to have to choose. Every single day, we have to make this choice. How could the other gods be a choice? Like, how stupid can you be? And I think that's Joshua's point. There isn't a choice. There really is only one choice. But we continually, well, not us, of course. Yeah, we, we make the wrong choices, don't we? If you don't choose God, the other options just don't make any sense. And Joshua takes a stand and he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He is going to represent the minority who will remain faithful. Just study historical literature. For us today, you and me here today, Joshua's testimony is a model of faith, even when it means standing out against the majority. In the New Testament, we see Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and Paul in Acts chapter 9. They represent Christians who confessed their faith despite its unpopularity. Joshua took a stand clearly and unambiguously on the Lord's side. He is a great example for us who is willing to move ahead of his or her people and commit himself regardless of people's inclination. Joshua first reviews the past what God has done. And then he tells them to keep the legacy going in choosing God. And finally, he tells them to document this with a a memorial or a stone. And we see this in Joshua 25. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and he put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, And he took a large stone and set it up under the Tibereth that was there in the sanctuary by the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against us, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance." Joshua writes these down. He writes these words the book in the book of the law, and then he erects a large stone. A stone serves as a lasting memorial. It would remind future generations of the covenant that has been made. See, the stone is to serve as a witness. They would see it, and this is a witness. Joshua inclines himself, or includes himself, sorry, with the people who have entered this covenant And he says, we must adhere to these statutes, these laws. The stone would be a witness against them that Yahweh's promises had never failed. Has God ever failed? You're sure? Have we ever failed? Who's never going to fail? God. So trusting him is important, isn't it? What witness do you presently have in your life? What stones have you erected? 
for me, <clears throat> this next picture there. This is my grandpa Plymeyer. He's he passed away before I was born. And in that picture there, it's Grace and John. That is his first wife and little boy. And when Grace was 35 years old and John was five years old, they both passed away from smallpox. And grandpa buried them in those coffins outside of the city because he was not per permitted to bury them in the city area because he was a white man in Tibet. In his journal, January 29, 1928, this is what he wrote. He says, I followed my two loved ones to this lonely spot on the Tibetan mountains. My wife, my wife and little boy were placed in one grave. Why these dear ones were called away, I do not know. I do not question. This next picture is Grandpa. It'll come up. Uh, that's Grandpa. That was when my, uh, my dad asked if he could marry his daughter. No. Uh, that is in 1908. My uh, grandpa later remarried uh, my grandmother, Ruth, and my mom was born in Tibet. So it's a good thing for me that the first, his first wife and little boy passed away. We don't understand God, God's ways. I know you're saying it. It's weird. I look at my grandpa's life. I never met him, but he's a legacy for me. His life challenged me that if he could go through that, it took him 19 years before he had his first convert. I'd have quit after three or four or five years. If grandpa could go through that, that's a legacy for me that I can continue to do whatever God calls me. This is a book that my uncle David wrote about my grandfather. It's the story of his life in Tibet. And then in 2016, I was happened to be with my Uncle David in China. And this is a book written in Chinese and English. It is written by the, the officials in the province about this white guy who came to this province and what he did in this province. And 90% of the pictures my grandfather took. He's dead and gone and no idea the impact of his life. Joshua 24 concludes the book of Joshua, and it's a call to God's people to examine their identity as a people. And it hinges on two things. It hinges on the action of God in the past and the action of God's people in the present and the future. God's people can easily turn to murmuring and to serving other gods. Israel did. Joshua is this courageous leader, ready to set an example himself with his house, and he calls each one of us to follow. He's not seeking recognition or popularity for himself. It's a call to discipleship, to hear and obey the commands of God. God is not a God that we can bribe. He's not a God who waits patiently while we flirt with other gods. He's not a God who governs one small part of the world. He's already in Europe, Omegas. He's already in Uganda, not-for-profit. He's dealing with the things that are taking place because he is the God of the universe. There is only one God. And you and I, have been given the choice to serve God or other gods. And we are continually warned that such a choice has serious consequences. We are reminded that God's offering, he's offering the choice, and it's already been done, and everything that he has given us, you and I could never repay. He continues to be a jealous lover, calling his people back to his holy courts. So today... We all have to choose. Based on God's faithfulness in the past, you and I are here because God is faithful. We are here because he has provided so many times for each one of us in the past. And we make a choice based on God's promise for the future. Do you think, grads, that God has brought you here 
just to see you move on and say, ha ha, then you're serving the wrong God because he knows exactly where you're going to be in the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. See, he said he would always be with us. We see his provisions in the Pentateuch and historical literature. Based on God's faithfulness, the choice is obvious. But how are we going to choose? We have to make that daily choice to serve only God. Grads, when you leave Summit and you work in a church or you work in a not-for-profit, or you counsel, or you continue to do your schooling, and you are successful, will you remember who got you where you are? Will you trust God down the road when things get difficult and don't turn out the way you planned? Because that'll happen. We have to put our confidence and trust in God, and we must set up markers along the way to remind us of God's faithfulness. We all are following a legacy, and we will all leave a legacy behind. What kind of legacy do you want to leave for those who will follow you? For me, a thing that comes into my mind, if you've been to my home and somewhere over at my home, there's a lot of pictures of my grandkids. I want to leave a legacy for my grandkids how they will think about grandpa and who he served. What legacy are you willing and do you want to leave? Joshua 24 ends with, and he says, so Joshua sent the people away, every man to their inheritance. Well, it is now time for us to get up, to move on, and to move into the direction that God is calling us and trust him each and every day. Wilf. Wilf, where's Wilf? Thank you, Mark. That applause was for you, Mark. Grads, I'd like you to come up here and face the audience. They want to see your face a few more times before grad. Omegas, why don't you come up here and face the audience? We're just doing a prayer of dedication for our grads. And if you are interning this summer, uh, you could just stand where you are. Don't these guys look good? Don't I look good today? I, <clears throat> I wore my safari jacket. Why? Because in Kenya, when we send guys out in mission, we would say, Safiri Salama. Can you say that with me? Safiri Salama, which, would, which means uh, bless your journey. So Salama, it's kind of like Shalom in history, in uh, in. Um, in Hebrew, Uh, we're praying for your well-being in every area of your life as you leave this place and follow the Holy Spirit to the place that he has prepared for you. Uh, It's fitting that this is Holy Week and Easter week, and I often reflect on on the, the Lord's meeting with the disciples at the Last Supper what that must have been like, him knowing what was going to happen, and uh, him thinking about, are these guys going to make it after I'm gone? And uh, there's a lot to unpack in that. And for faculty, that's kind of how we feel in April as we reflect on the four five, sometimes six years that you've been with us. But we realize that's it. In September, they're not coming back. And so it's, uh, it's uh, one of those, those seasons in life where we're reminded that uh, we've done our work. You are disciples of the Lord. He has prepared so many 
works and places for you to go and to be. And we rejoice in that. And uh, even though it's hard to see you go, we think of those days that Jesus spent with the disciples after his resurrection. He came back and hung out with them for another 40 days. And so when you go and when you're in ministry and you're gone from this place, please don't forget about us. Uh, we want to follow you. We want to pray for you. We're your biggest cheerleaders. And uh, we wish all the best for you. So faculty, staff, if you could sta stand where you are. And we're going to pray together for these guys. And uh, wish you all the best. In fact, everyone, you've been sitting for too long. Stand up and uh, let us pray together. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, we're so grateful this day and thank you so much for your word. Thank you for every reflector today. Thank you for bringing back the mem many memories that we've had over these years with uh, this great grad class. We thank you for their lives. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for all that you have invested in them. Thank you for the transformations that are so evident in their lives. And we just pray that as they go from this place, as they follow your spirit and your direction, that you would lead them to the place of ministry that you have prepared for them. May they be faithful. May they trust in your spirit and in what they have learned to accomplish the many tasks that you have for them. May their ministries be fruitful and productive, and may they continue to serve you all the days of their lives. Lord, we thank you for the many opportunities that you give us as a community to leave this place this summer, to go on mission trips, to go on internships in churches and in different ministries, and we just pray that you would use us for your honor and glory. May the kingdom of God be expanded as we pray for the people that are lost, for those who need to hear the good news of the gospel, find salvation, find hope and trust in Jesus. We pray your blessing for every Omega team in Europe as they serve in those hard places where there's so much need at this time, may you bless them richly, transform them immensely, and may you protect them from harm. We do pray for your protection as we travel, that you would keep us safe and strong for Jesus. We want to serve you all the days of our lives. Thank you for this morning. We pray your blessing over these next few days, even as we prepare for exams and our ceremonies and banquets. We look to you for your shalom, your blessing, and for journey mercies. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. amen.